You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hey folks, Brian Nichols here from The Brian Nichols Show. Are you tired of partisan politics? Do you want to hear the news without that media narrative? Do you want to be more well-rounded as a person? Or how about this? Do you want to get to know and learn from noted entrepreneurs, elected officials, C-level executives, economists, and more? Well, how about this? Look no further. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Again, I'm your host, Brian Nichols. Go ahead and learn more at briannicholsshow.com. Okay, if you have not heard about Cash App, you're going to love me. You want more from all these free apps used for just free and fast money transfers, right? Well, I've got the hookup for you. The Cash App. The Cash App card is a free Visa debit card that lets you use your Cash App balance to pay online and in stores. It's also the only way to get Boost. Now, let me tell you about Boost because it's exclusive to Cash App. Boosts are reusable instant discounts that work at places you actually go to, everywhere from Starbucks to Walmart to even the PlayStation Network store. You can do so much more than buy and save money with this. You can even purchase shares of stock in companies you love by investing as little as $1. Banking is also made easy. With Cash App, you can directly deposit paychecks, tax returns, and more to your Cash App balance using the unique account and routing numbers. And if you don't think things can get any cool, It does by allowing you to buy and sell Bitcoin, the money of the future. Selling and receiving money on Cash App is as easy as entering a phone number, using another user's name, or simply scanning a QR code. Hit the special link in the show notes and get $5 just for signing up. That is, use that link in the show notes and get $5 just for signing up. So go on, go ahead and hit that link in the show notes and get set up with Cash App today. Hey, everybody, check out the Break the Bell podcast, where we believe your voice is your most powerful weapon for a weekly dose of our take on what's going on in the world mixed with a side of history. Find us wherever podcasts are found or on social media handle at Break the Bell Pod. And most importantly, never stop talking. Prepare yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. I want to talk comic books, Remzo. We can talk about anything, Andrew. This is I. So I, I already, I already went ahead and hit the recording button. We're gonna do this Joe Rogan style, and by that I mean I took a muscle relaxer. I'm extremely tired, and I don't know where this is going. So that's as far as I, that's as far as I'll go. But I want to go ahead and preface this. I've got some I, I've got some beautiful people, some beautiful haters that uh, you know will just suddenly like they'll they'll come at me like for a few times during the year, and then they'll go into like hibernation, and then during like the most random parts of the day, like a year later, they'll pop back up. And it's always these people that think I don't put in the work, I don't actually hustle, I don't actually uh, you know live and be the man of action that I am but you know I've got you on the record to show this we're recording this at midnight my time and people don't understand this I will sometimes record edit and create material between 10 p.m. and 3 a.m. if I have to on a work night and uh yeah it's it's not because I I absolutely love it it's because I do it because sometimes it's when things need to be done. And I'm in a good mood. I'm not incredibly tired. I'm not, you know, groggy like some other people would be because I've got something to do. I'm going to have an awesome conversation with you and people are going to love it. That's all I have to say. You're a grinder, bro. Uh, grinding it out. And yeah, I think this will be spectacular. I have every every uh, confidence in the world that this is going to be amazing. Uh, but I'm going to let you drive the ship on this one. I know it's midnight your time, but I still I need you to captain the captain the old. What's a good word for boat? I need an excellent word. Vessel. Yes, captain this ship. Dreadnought. There you go. We'll keep finding it. Anyway, I'm I'm happy to have you here tonight, man. People, go ahead and follow the Andrew Meyer on Twitter right now before we get started. The stuff that he drops will change your life, and that's one reason why I wanted to go ahead and have you back on the show. It's been too long, way too long. You've got a brand new podcast coming out, which, for fuck's sake, it's been too long. You should have done this years ago, but the timing, you know... For it to happen now is better than for it to never happen. What finally made you, you know, jump into this sphere of things? 
Yeah, it just felt like the time was right. Everything's all about timing. Spitting fire with Andrew Meyer. I mean, it just came together. It was like it was supposed to be. And I got, like, confirmation from that. My favorite basketball team is the Miami Heat. And uh, their players, uh, their starting point guard's name is Goran Dragic. Dragic literally means dragons. His nickname, his nickname is the dragon. They're talking about him, like, spitting fire while I'm coming up with this name. I'm like, yep, that's that's exactly it. Perfect. Everything aligned. Everything aligned. So, what, what, what was, what, what were some of the other things that made you want to finally do this? Was this a thought that you had for a while, or was it something that was a bit more spontaneous? Well, I've, because I know you'd been doing your live streams, and I mean, your your show is kind of like your live streams, but it's different in a way. I feel like with yeah. podcasts, you can be a little bit more intimate about things. The thing with the live streams versus what the show actually is, you know, my live streams is just like I feel like talking to the world. The podcast, you're making a space. Like whatever podcast you launch, you're creating a platform. It's a lot more work than just going live. It's actually putting something together. And the output of it, what, the reason I did it is to make a space for people that are, you know, we have this whole arena of people that are like now red-pilled. And it's like, okay, what media is there for us? You know, you've got hardcore, like, journalism during the day, which you need to learn some of the things that are going on, but it's not relaxing. And then the entertainment space, you know, there's almost nothing there yet. So, you know, as far as a one-man show can do for production, uh, I think a podcast is just about it. So it's a space for the people that have things to say that matter to say what they want to say in a fun space but not not necessarily so intensely political. I think you're doing something similar with your show. Yeah, I mean, it, it got to the point where me, I, it, it, it's really weird when I look back at this because I started doing this when I was in college, and I, you know, it, it's so weird when I think about it because I started this in my dorm with my brother because I really wanted to talk instead of write all the time, and I also didn't want to go work at Baskin Robbins like some of my friends. So I thought if I could make money talking, I'll never have to go get a, a job at Baskin Robbins, which I have no problem with people that work fast food. I worked retail. I was a cashier and a mall cop after college, so I, I'm not I'm not putting down hard work, but I really didn't want to do that at the time and. You know, in many ways, there's something about hearing yourself, you know, years and years ago when you're talking about something big. Uh, I, I think it's, you know, the, the timing is always interesting because we're, we're talking about this 50 days, um, you know, out from the election. And when I started, it was really around the 2016 election. And I go back and listen to myself. Uh, 2016 Remso was not based at all. I was a I was a big never Trumper. Uh, I always did things thinking that I would get the, you know, the the social blessing of the Beltway class of uh, corporate libertarianism. I I am a very different person than I am now. And I wouldn't say that I was a dumb person then. But, you know, there's something about, you know, putting yourself out there in a way where the world witnesses you and you can go back and, you know, see yourself that it offers you a certain space that I don't think we really give ourselves the opportunity to reflect upon things. Yeah, I think it's a, a real gift to be able to go back and uh, hear what you sound like years ago versus now. It gives you a great way to chart where you've been and where you are and where you're going. So podcasting for that reason alone, um, it's a really great platform. You, you know, you can chart your own growth as well as, uh, you know, share something for the rest of the world. Are, are you happy that social media wasn't the way it is now back when like you were you were my age? You know, because I, I because I feel to a certain degree, I feel to a certain degree like I'm really happy. Like I, I don't, I don't want to constantly hit on the internet and social media. I work for a social media company, but at the same time, it's like there's this weird balance with it. Like sometimes I wish it was bigger, and sometimes I wish it wasn't. Uh, I'm so blessed that social media wasn't bigger when I was younger. First of all, <laughs> it, it, you you don't have a chance to necessarily develop yourself without thinking. What does everybody think of this? What are the reactions online? You get to be way more authentic. Secondly, I mean, if, if Twitter had been what it is today back in 2007, I, I would have had like 10 million Twitter followers instantly. No joke. And I don't think that would have been a good thing for my uh, personal development. You know, you, you, you think you would have gotten into like MLMs, like selling lotions and stuff? <laughs> no doubt. I actually, bro, I was uh, 
selling shosai chocolate once upon a time you know i was so oh this is the healthiest chocolate it's got acai it's unrefined cho- i literally uh i literally learned about that and then you learn about you know this isn't necessarily the best thing not that it's, ne- it's necessarily bad but um do i want to be sharing this maybe not and then to have had literally i would have had like 10 million followers on twitter um to have had that at that time when you're not a developed person that's not good so um, you know, thank God, thank God Twitter didn't exist when I was young. I'm, I'm grateful for it. And the uh, kids growing up in it now, man, I don't know how, uh, how Gen Z is doing it. This is not, in my opinion, an easy time at all to grow up. No, not at all. I was, I was talking with my girlfriend the other day about, uh, about Justin Bieber. And I remember when that, when that little Canadian Hobbit was like, you know, two years old, everyone, it, it, like the fad, the fad when he was starting out was to hate him. And over time, it's like I, I really did hate him. But as, you know, he began to really come out with a lot of his problems, with a lot of his addictions when he became a Christian and then tried speaking out what was going on in Hollywood, like you start to look at this kid and you're like, you know, he was like three years old when he became a YouTube sensation. Then his parents throw him into Hollywood when he's like 10 and he's a millionaire by the time that he's a freaking teenager and he's, you know, screwing models and wrecking Lamborghinis and he's insanely famous and he can't get a normal life. And you look at him and you just think I, it's not, it's not normal for somebody so young who's still trying to figure themselves out to immediately be the equivalent of like public property. Yeah. And I, I don't miss that. I, I mean, I don't, I've, I've never had that level of fame. I don't think I ever will, but like this idea of like when I was, I think we all had when we were younger that we're going to be famous, that we're going to, you know, we want everyone to know us because that'll be easier. Like I look at that and I'm like, God, that's horrifying. And Mike Cernovich says the most fun he had on social media is when he had about a hundred thousand followers. That seems somewhere around the right number. It's enough to get what you want across and get things going, but not so much that you necessarily have to deal with, you know, all of the craziness that comes with everybody knowing your name. And uh, as for Bieber, I think he turned out pretty good, all things considered. He had to he had to go through a lot of rough times and uh, whatever, but I think he's like married and a Christian. I don't. I don't hate him. Like I don't have strong opinions about him. I just, you know, I hope he's amazing. He he turned out as good as he did. Oh yeah, I mean, he could have been. He could have been like Michael Jackson, who I mean, his life was just miserable towards the end. But it seems like he's done well. And you know, I used to be, you know, just this person, the spectator watching him. I'm like, well, fuck that guy. Now I'm looking at him. Like you know, he's he's a good kid. He's not that bad. He was dropped into a situation. I don't know how many of us would have done too much better. When people, uh, you know, worship you like you're a god for being a little kid that can sing, it's a, uh, you know, a little bit of a gnarly situation, and uh, you know, I think he, he worked that out pretty good. Good, good for the Beebs. I don't, uh, I don't think I've ever asked you this, but 2007, when when the whole "Don't Tase Me, Bro" incident went down in the history books, did how, how long did it take you to kind of, you know? go out in public and not have to worry about that? Or was it that bad after, like, let's say a, a couple of years or so? Because, of course, YouTube is around uh, at that point. The memes, I think you were really, like, the first viral meme at the time. You were my ringtone my sophomore year of high school. Um, but, like, did it what, – what, what was it like? When, did, when were you able to go outside and finally feel like, okay, something feels like a degree of normalcy? Uh. It, the the heat probably took about a month to come off a little bit. I, I kid you not, a month. Like if I went outside, I went to a store, people would start pointing, oh my God, that's the guy. Uh, there were a few weeks there where they're like reporters talking me, trying to like hit up every person that I know in Gainesville. Literally like, oh, I'll take you out to dinner. Very good looking female reporters trying to get like the inside story on me by offering to take my friends to dinner. Uh, <laughs> I kid you not. I'll come. All kinds of weird stuff. So, how'd they pitch yeah. it to you? How how would they, how would they pitch it to you? Uh, to me, I mean, I talk about this in my book. Um, you know, I would get my cell phone. First of all, I don't know how they got the, my cell phone number, but apparently, my cell phone number became public somehow to the reporters anyway, because Fox and Friends and CNN, all these people were blowing me up, saying all the most ridiculous things into my phone. 
uh, which I don't know why they think I would respond. I guess if I really, if, if they believe their own story that I'm like an attention whore, it makes sense that I would just call them back. But since I wasn't just an attention whore, I actually was just doing something with a purpose to try and reveal truth to people. Their offers were really not very interesting to me. Like, oh, you want to come on CNN? We just lied about you so we, we can smear you and look, make you look bad. Like, uh, I don't know, maybe. Like, uh, let, me, let, let me think about that. Uh, the only interview I really ended up doing was um, the Today Show with Matt Lauer, just because it was the biggest one of all of them. And I was like, okay, I'll just talk to the country at once. And, you know, that was like gearing up for that. It was like gearing up for a presidential debate. And people that have watched it, on YouTube that have gone back and watched it, they talk about like, wow, these questions from Matt Lauer are really slick, really not to the point. He was trying to get this guy, and I talk about it in my book, which I didn't, I didn't come on here intending to pitch the book, but we're, we're plug it now. Do it. I people should read it. Don't tase me, bro. Real questions, fake news, and my life is a meme. It's an amazing book, and uh, yeah, I don't say that because I wrote it. I say that it's really good. People don't know about it. I tell people about everything that they don't know. Comic books that are the best, music, movies. I love. I love to plug all the stuff that people don't know about. I, I made my I made my family read it when it came out. When really? I bought a copy, yeah, it was it was a it was like a coffee room. I'm oh, sorry, it was like a living room coffee table book. I left it out there because when people would come over and stuff, not that we're that social, but like you know, pre COVID, when people would do that, they'd look at the book and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I think I remember that guy." And I'm like, "Did you read the book?" And they're like, "Oh, it's the book." And I'm like, "Yeah, you got to read it. It's gonna tell you everything you think you know about the media and entertainment and everything and politics and our current culture." I mean, really, I think if you if you look back and i i've said this before if you look back at like the last 15 years you could really look at where we've come in terms of cancel culture based off what what the media did to you in 2007 duke lacrosse and michael jackson like really well that that may be trump birtherism maybe that too but those those things specifically you could definitely start seeing the decline of civil discourse and really the the veil in front of the media really beginning to to tear itself apart that's the that's the reason i wrote it that way because i think it's you know pop culture enough that people be interested in it and my personal story is a good hook but the point of it is to red pill people and show them what's going on with the media and uh, yeah, I, I talk about Mike Cernovich's documentary hoaxed all the time. Again, see, I don't plug things just because they pertain to me. I, I tell people the best stuff, and that's uh, that's another red people or another red pill that I think people that haven't seen it it's like, hey, watch this movie. If they don't quite know what's going on with the media, you know, in a few hours, all of a sudden they could, whoa, I didn't know that this was like that. And uh, yeah, total amazing red pill in the form of like really good entertainment. Yeah, absolutely. And folks, I'm going to go ahead and link to Andrew's book in the show notes today. So that way you can go ahead and order your copy. I highly recommend you do. It's a it's a quick read, but you're going to get a lot of information, insight from it. And I mean, just the one thing that I got from the book that I didn't even get, you know, one as a spectator before I met you, but then, you know, getting to know you and, and become friends, like reading the book really puts the reader in the position of how would you feel if all of this is happening to you? Because I think we we watch movies, we watch the news, we look at, you know, just the stories of regular average people that get put into these insane situations. And I mean, re- reading what, what was just going on with you, it, it, it brought up this anxiety in me because I'm looking at this and I'm like, oh shit, like this reminds me of some moments of my life. Oh God, how would I, how would I behave and how would I engage with things if I was, you know, tossed into these situations? And it really forces people to to question those things and i mean it's not it's not a book that's that's necessarily political in nature because at the time i mean you were you were a liberal and now you're you're definitely more right of center and it's one of those things where it's like listen folks like you could be put at you know in 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 front of the crosshairs for any reason if people can use you as a target for what they need to get done. And your book does that in a way that very few others are able to accomplish. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's the whole point is just to show this is what the media will do when you get in the way of their agenda and <laughs> what is their agenda? Why do they have one? Cause most people are unassuming. They don't understand how evil the, the evil in the world is, you know, you watch a James Bond movie, but you don't think that there's, 
like a club of those evil people really meeting, really trying to do evil things. But I think it's becoming more and more apparent between the whole Jeffrey Epstein situation and uh, the lockdowns, which I think more and more people are noticing are way over the top. They're causing people to kill, literally kill themselves, uh, besides the fact it's destroying people's businesses and uh, the whole riots and you know people burning things down and being applauded by the media. Um, the reality of how sick uh, what's behind the media is, I think people are seeing it more and more. Yeah, and I mean it's it, it's one of these things that I don't think is necessarily a, a a disagreeable statement to say that people have more distrust in the media as an institution than ever before. And I think whether you grab a very strident Trump supporter or a very strident Biden supporter, they're all going to say they don't trust the media. They all have the ones that they choose, but I mean, they, they all choose them and for different reasons. They all point, you know, fingers in different reasons. I mean, it's it's funny that uh, you brought up Matt Lauer. I, when, when I was getting into journalism, when I was at the Media Research Center, when I was at Newsbusters, there were three people within the media that I had to really focus on as my my targets, uh, which basically meant for people that you know don't really know how newsbusters work, I had to watch all of Matt Lauer, all of Charlie Rose, and every second of Andrew Cuomo on TV. I, I hated that job. I'm so sorry for you. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I had to watch The View, too. I had to watch The View at least twice a day to go over it once to get all the main points, go over it twice to to get it. And people don't realize, like, the thing that I really hated was that I had to transcribe things. You know what it's like to watch, like, five hours of Whoopi Goldberg to make sure you get the quotes right? It's terrible. But um, the the funny thing is, like, of the three people that I got into, you know, Twitter fights with, Charlie Rose, Matt Lauer, and – you know, Fredo Cuomo, like all of them have basically been exposed for the terrible human beings they they are. And it's funny because even though I knew I was coming at, you know, my journalism from a political orient, I still had this like thought in my mind that they were at least, you know, professionals and, you know, good hearted people. And later did I realize, oh, shit, that's not the case, because Charlie Rose was a serial sexual harasser, uh, assaulted several women on the set CBS. Uh, Matt Lauer had a freaking like he, he turned his office into like a rape dungeon. He was a sexual predator. And everyone knows that Fredo is a is a chronic liar and a sociopath. And it's like, you know, it, it, it's it's weird when you finally get to see these things really unfold. And I think now, I don't know if it's because of Trump or if it's something that's going to, you know, become more so after him. But, I mean, the the mask is off with these folks like never before. Yeah, they're uh, there's some sick people, man. But <laughs> I feel like uh, I feel like we should lighten it up and talk about comic books or something. Oh my I, god, I, I please! One hundred percent. But like, let's uh, let's uh, let's leave those folks alone. They're how, in the dark corner. How, how have you how, how have you been keeping your sanity during this time? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> um, number one, you got to make sure uh, you know they're trying to lock us down. So go outside. Go in the sun. Go for a hike. Go play basketball. Whatever it is you like to do outside. I do my best to go do that as routinely as I can. That's number one. Uh, number two, I mean, you know, we're talking about canceling Netflix and all this and that. You got to find, uh, if you need some kind of entertainment, something that is worth watching that is not going to, you know, burn your eyes, you know. So um, I've been watching a lot of old movies. Um, I've been watching some of the classics. Trying to think of something that I saw recently that, oh, even a new film. That's what I want to tell people. It's so rare that there's a movie made after the year like 2016 that's in, or after the year 2010 that's any good. And I just saw Togo the other day. That was fantastic. If people that's have never good. heard of Togo. That's good. I th- I'm pretty sure I've watched every uh, every Marvel MCU film like in order at least three times since March. I was just watching uh, Iron Man three like yesterday. I was ju- I was just rewatching the Iron Man movies. Is it is uh, it aren't, aren't they aren't they aren't they worse than how you remember them? <laughs> no, they're better. <laughs> Iron Man is fantastic. Iron Man is fantastic, but Iron Man two and Iron Man three are not films that I look at as like the crown jewel of the MCU. 
No, they're not the crown jewel, but two and three are both pretty good. And like, I actually started rewatching them because of like people like you and and the and John Dutois, who I respect, the uh, director of Hoax. All these people crapping on uh, Marvel movies, and I'm like, I remember them being pretty good. And you know what? It's like I was just looking for something enjoyable to watch that's not too serious. And Marvel movies are really good, and actually they slip in real information too. A little red pill, even in Iron Man, talking about how the government does dirty dealing and sells weaponry to actual terrorists. So that's even a, a literal red pill in Iron Man. And there's other red pills in like Captain America too. Uh, the Marvel movies are really good and really underrated. No, I, I, I definitely agree with a lot of them. Some my of the my problem... Some of the Marvel movies. Some of them. Like there, there are some Marvel films that I've only seen once and I genuinely don't remember much of any of them. Like Ant-Man... I've seen once. I don't remember any of it. Captain Marvel. I, I saw Captain Marvel in theaters when everyone, you know, was like, oh, I'm not going to go see Captain Marvel. It's, you know, they don't want me to see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I'll, I'll go. I'll go see the fucking movie. I paid to see it in IMAX. And it was entertaining. But there was nothing really like the, the Captain America trilogy, I think, is the best example of story arc, not only within the Marvel films, but within cinema in a long time when you look at wow. it, and if you just look at captain america the first avenger captain america the winter soldier and captain america civil war you see more gravitas and you know character development within those three films alone not counting the avengers films than in many series and that's something that i think it lacks in a lot of other films because one, you've got the entertainment side. You just want to go ahead and make sure you're throwing out all the all the explosions and all the classic Michael Bay shit to just keep people happy. But at the same time, you've got to put in your own, you know, woke agenda because it's Hollywood. I think um, you know, the Marvel films kind of stayed away from that. I, I don't think Black Panther was as egregious as people made it sound. I, I actually really liked Black Panther. But, you know, with those with those Captain America films, I will watch those over and over and over again. I've seen them. I've watched Winter Soldier since at least uh, March, at least seven times. Wow. Black Panther was pretty good, I thought. I wouldn't put it in the top five, probably not even the top ten of Marvel films, but it was pretty good. I thought the uh, the outrageous thing was the people in the media, not the movie itself. The people in the media saying things like, oh, the first black superhero. It's like, you never saw Blade or Blade 2? Yeah, does Wesley Snipes mean nothing to you? And I mean, come on, give, give Shaq some credit. He oh, was yeah, steel right. at least. That's right. <laughs> have you ever did you ever see that i don't think i've i don't think i've met anyone that actually saw the film but i know many people who've seen the trailer for it online and i saw steel in theaters it was not bad were you how many people were there steel it was a pretty packed house i mean uh you know this is 90s kid movie so for a 90s kids movie you know all the moms are taking their kids and uh yeah i remember going to that that was a fun movie uh, you, you've been a comic book reader way longer than I've been. Uh, you know, when when you were a kid, did you ever anticipate that you know the superhero genre would ever be this popular? Nonetheless, yes. have two giant cinematic universes. Yes, I one hundred percent was expecting. I'm like reading these comic books. I'm like, wow, it's amazing. These haven't been movies yet. These are going to be the biggest thing in culture. I knew for a fact. Like, uh, I mean, I'm a bit of a visionary in a lot of different respects, but I knew for a fact that was going to become huge. Um, and the fact that they weren't huge already was astounding. Like, it just showed how incompetent the movie studios were, that they weren't able, able to turn Spider-Man into a movie yet and make it successful. It's like, hey, guys, have, have you read Spider-Man? I think it'll be a pretty good movie. So, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't surprised at all when all this happened, and I was expecting it for a long time. Just, since I was a little kid, I was expecting that. Do you like Tom Holland as Spider-Man? He's okay. He's not offensive to me. I think the writing is a bit annoying that they made. They did what they did with a lot of white guys in the early 90s where they give they gave white guys these awkward, unconfident role models like Doug. If you ever saw Doug the cartoon, he's like the I hated guy. that show. All he has to do is be like, hey, Patty Mayonnaise, you want to go on a date? And she'd be like, okay. But he's like, oh, oh gosh, I'm going to ask Patty on a date. Blah! Like, he doesn't know what to do with himself. It's like, dude, just calm down. It's not that big a deal. And uh, it's, you know, that 
I understand they made him young because it, it needed to fit in the MCU and like where he's coming out of nowhere now. So they made him young like they did in uh, some of the alternative uh, Spider-Man universes. I get what they did there, but if they could just not make him so awkward, like uh, Tobey Maguire had more confidence in Spider-Man and he wasn't exactly, you know, alpha dog. Every, every year that goes by, I appreciate the Sam Raimi trilogy more and more. Yeah. I mean, he nailed it. Spider-Man one and two are fantastic. Uh, you can't really knock those movies at all. Three, obviously, he just needed to like, he needed to listen to somebody read that thing and be like, "Hey, what? Are you, why are you doing that? Don't do that." But you know, he got caught up in himself or whatever. But one and two were fantastic. Oh, num- I mean, Spider-Man Two, I think, will be one of the best superhero films ever. I mean, what I appreciate about like the pre MCU films, you know, regardless as to whether or not they were Marvel or DC, was that they made those movies as if they knew they were never making another. And now we're getting sequels and prequels and spinoffs and reboots and everything else. But like when Spider-Man 1 came out, like there were rumors of a sequel. But at the time we're like, okay, maybe a film that makes this much money will definitely get a sequel. Then to get a third, despite how the third actually was, was absolutely insane. And to have them try and redo it within the same decade, um, you know, in in a in 2010 or 2011 with the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man films, which I'm ambivalent about. I mean, even that was a bit unheard of, but those films were made to be good, singular self-contained stories where, you know, they will be good based on whether or not they are actually good. I don't feel like a lot of the Marvel films or really a lot of movies in general these days are, are doing that because like, Oh God, did you see, did you see the mummy with Tom Cruise? No, I would never watch that. P- Posobiec likes that film, and I, I, I don't, I don't understand his his reasoning. He provides a rationale for it. I, I just don't like it. But that film is just sequel franchise bait from the moment it starts until it ends, and it is it is atrocious. And obviously, we don't have a you know universal dark universe with Johnny Depp as the Wolfman or whatever, but. I, I feel that with a lot of films these days, they, they've lost what made cinema good, which was that they're, they're, they're good stories that can be complicated, but as long as you've got the formula right, they'll be good objectively decades later. I'm more interested now in talking about Pasovic's takes than the movie itself. Pasovic is, <laughs> Jack Pasovic is, in, is interesting to me. The guy that like would walk up to a dartboard and throw like ten bullseyes in a row, and then like throw one at the ceiling is like, did, did you were you trying to hit the ceiling? You're like, no, I was, I was aiming for the dartboard. It's like, but you just threw ten bullseyes in a row. How did you hit the ceiling? And uh, that's that's Pasovic's takes to me. Like he's so on point. Like ninety percent of the time, he's just throwing bullseyes, and then once in a while, you like, Jack, I, I don't. How do you? You thought the Mummy was a good movie? I don't get it. Yeah, I mean it's the, the the man is full of surprises. I did not know, and, and I mean maybe we're getting into the weeds for some people. He's he's talked about this. Yeah, he he was it. He was an extra in the film The Forbidden Kingdom. Do you remember that? I just watched it this weekend because he was talking about it. Oh man, it's a good movie. It is a good movie. It was fun. It was a fun Jet Li, Jackie Chan. I mean, that was excellent. That was a good movie. I, I watched that in theaters. I was in Colleen, Texas in like 2006, and the theater was packed, and it was it was good. That is an example of a film that, like, obviously we don't remember the, the main actor. Like, no one remembers that dude. But, I mean, that was the first film that Jet Li and Jackie Chan did together. That was supposed to be Jackie Chan's last film, but, you know, like a lot of pro wrestlers, he did the fade out and uh, he's done a whole bunch of like direct to direct to dvd films since it's it's been pretty sad but like that that was a good movie and he played one of the one of the southies that's what they were called because they were in boston and he wasn't the the giant bully that you know pushes a kid off a off a rooftop and shoots old man jackie chan but he was one of the one of the gang members but he was with them i mean he was with them if you were to charge, he throws a he throws a few punches. He throws a few punches. He was mean. Uh, Pasovic was a mean guy in that movie. And if you were to charge his character, uh, he would get 
he would get <laughs> attempted. He would no. He would get uh, accessory to ex- to attempted murder. On oh yeah, murder. that's it's not even manslaughter. It's like straight murder at that point because they because <laughs> they shoot Jackie Chan, then they push the kid off the freaking roof of like a five story building, and like what I, what I love about it is he uh, as he mentioned this as we were talking about this he he sent the uh, he sent the clip where uh, you know the the kid wakes up after he's gone to like that other world to become a karate master and he's and he you know wakes up and he's starting to kick ass and like Pasobic looks like he will stab you that's the funniest thing like he took that role very seriously he was very professional with that yeah Pasobic did great uh he was an enjoyable extra in that movie it made it it made it a hundred times more enjoyable that's I literally went to watch it because he said he was (laughs) the fact that it was Jet Li and Jackie Chan I'm like this should be good and it was good it was a good movie what what's ironic now is that um, the the girl in that film, the love interest, she's the same actress who played Mulan in the in the film in the Mulan that's out now from Disney, and it's just so funny. Jack didn't he didn't he hit like a million followers on Twitter the other day? Yet her film, which is a freaking Disney adaption of a beloved animated film, is just bombing. Jack is doing gangbusters online and nobody is watching Mulan. why are they making all of these live action versions of things that were already movies they're not improving yeah, i get that the new lion king made a lot of money but they did not improve i didn't i don't need to see it to know they did not improve the lion king i i have not watched any of them Beauty and the beast no of course not i said this a long time ago to uh patrick Karelchi, who is the host of red pilled america i've said this to a bunch of people that Hollywood is intentionally making sequels of things that we love to make us hate them. Anything that has soul and light and joy, they want to make soulless and horrible. It's, you know, like the Tim Burton remake of Willy Wonka, just terrible. The Ghostbusters, all women remake. They want to take all these things that we love and make us hate them by giving us terrible versions of them and replacing that in the culture. As as much as I want to talk shit about the female Ghostbusters, did you see the trailer for the Paul Rudd Ghostbusters that's supposed to be coming out like whenever? It looked okay. It looks like it looks like the Force Awakens. It's like I'm thinking, oh, they can't screw this up. Then they put out the commercial for that, and I'm like, God, you you fucked it up. You're supposed to give us something funny. Right, it lo- like it's it's like uh, Armageddon or something. It looks like it looks like the female Ghostbusters tried. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like they tried, and here you have it. It's like here we'll just give you canned post-apocalyptic shit with some of the kids from from uh, Stranger Things. There, be happy. How long ago did that trailer come out? It feels like it, that was a year ago. Well, now that now they don't even know when the film's coming out. So, like at this think, point, I don't think we missed anything. No, I'm, I, you know, that that's not one of the films I, I was like, ah, shit, I'm really sad that they pushed back another Ghostbusters remake. I, I was more upset that they pushed back uh, Wonder Woman for like a fourth time. I was actually ex- hoping to see Wonder Woman '84, you know, months ago, and uh, you know, Black Widow is supposed to come out in in November. I was happy enough. Uh, like I, I went to go see Tenet last weekend, and then uh, Bill and Ted uh, face the music. I think that's what is the the week the week prior, and like th- th- those are those are good movies. Tenet was amazing. But this is this is gonna be a strange time for for movies because think how long it takes to film these pictures and then how long it takes to edit and promote everything. We're gonna go like after everything gets back to whatever normal looks like after the election, obviously. Like we might go a good year without any big blockbusters if you think about Can it. Can you? Think about it this way: What an amazing opportunity if people in the independent media could start making movies and putting them on, you know, hey, it's on Twitter. Go, you can go buy it for 10 bucks. Uh, and what an amazing opportunity. Only, uh, if only the, the right of center people online had the wherewithal to fund movies and film and culture from this space. We know the people that can write, that can be in it, that can direct and for whatever reason, any of the donors out there that have had the opportunity to fund films and haven't done it, I don't know what's wrong with them. I, I don't – like if they're not taking advantage of it now, 
I don't think they'll ever take advantage of it. I think it really comes down to just, you know, the same old thinking. It's like, you know, after Trump leaves, you know, we'll we'll forget all the things that made him who he was. And I don't want to keep focusing on him, but, you know, it's just always the easiest example. Like, we'll go back to thinking, oh, we just need to let the think tanks run things. And, you know, we'll just, you know, everyone just give your money to the PACs. Meanwhile, liberals, despite all the negative things about them, all my favorite actors are crazy lefties. I love Sean Penn as an actor. I think he's a He's he's wrong on everything, but Sean Penn is probably like my favorite actor. Like you know, all, all, they they all they they write all the great films. They they write all the comics that we're reading right now. Despite the fact that I think a lot of them are ruining the comic industry. Donnie Cates, Matt Fraction, both crazy lefties, amazing comic book writers. They 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 just have it. I don't I don't I don't know if it's something that's just inherent about liberals that they happen to you know be more in tune of this creative industry or and conservatives right of center people aren't but you know when you just look at the numbers and you look at who's really you know dictating the narrative i i don't think it's just that there are you know gatekeepers out there i mean the internet and everything has been such a great equalizer i think the excuse comes down to people not doing stuff there's something to the fact that there's no opportunity right now for people that are right wing. Like if you go to Hollywood and say, breathe a word about being right wing, you won't get work. You won't get your scripts picked up, anything like that. So I think there's some great writers. I know for a fact, there's some great people in Hollywood that are right wing that keep it under the table. They don't talk about it. You know, if you see someone that you like and they haven't said a word about Trump, uh, they probably like Trump a lot. Uh, so the problem is, um, there's not really a space where people are creating on the right where it's like, yeah, we are ideologically on the right. Our content is not like, oh, we're pushing right-wing stuff, but it's made by right-wing people. And that space uh, needs to exist. It's going to exist. And the smartest people that, like, I told you that there's going to be a, I saw when I was a kid that comic books are going to be huge. This new media that's coming up, something's going to replace Hollywood. I'm telling you for a fact. I mean, Hollywood might still exist. I had to just push with cuties. So there's going to be replacements for these things. And the people that really uh, have their stuff together are going to help build it. Yeah. And I mean, even in just, you know, the the online digital content realm, I, I'm seeing that giant difference because it's so funny now how for like all the all the late night shows and everything else like everyone is everyone is just freaking podcasting from their basements now like the Daily Show everyone looks like shit they don't know how to make their mics work they have to they have to basically learn how to become skilled editors and you know get a Zoom account for a freaking production company like. All these people who had everything be basically being provided for them, now they're kind of on their own. And what we're all seeing is that they suck. And that for people like us who are naturally inclined to, you know, get get the job done, focus on doing good content, putting out good, entertaining, informative stuff, this is a good time for us. I don't think I would have ever been able to launch my show and have it be where it is now and start my, my other show, the Second Print Comics Podcast, which, folks, you should listen to immediately after this. Um, I don't think I would have been able to really jump on this wave, one, had it not been for everyone being stuck at home and bored out of their minds, and two, for the entire entertainment industry basically halting to, like, a dead stop. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's a it's a great time to be in this space. Uh, I don't know if I went to where the puck is going by launching my podcast at this time, but it just felt like, you know, people have the time to listen to this stuff. I want to throw something good in at this time. So, yeah, this is a, a good time for podcasts. And, uh, yeah, Renzo, you're doing a great job, bro. I appreciate it. And, and I mean, I, I think I think this kind of, you know, points points all into one thing. Like, would you would you consider yourself a political commentator? Uh, no, that's not how I think of myself, frankly. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think that label applies to me anymore either. I think it did to maybe like at one point in my life, but I feel that you know e- even even those labels just don't don't apply to what either of us are really focusing on. Uh, 
I don't know. I don't know how to tell people without sounding, you know, arrogant or crazy, whatever. I'm okay, well, well, I, well, I'll, I'll make things feel better. You know what I fucking hate? I hate people that put influencer in there in their in their bio <laughs> andrew if you ever put i'm a social media influencer in your bio i will call you out publicly i promise you that, that. was no, that was not the word that sprang to mind is futurist but i'm not a futurist i'm about the present i'm about the now i'm about building a new society and uh, I, you know, revolutionary was another word that came to mind. But I'm not a revolutionary. I'm not trying to revolt. I am just trying to build the new energy. I'm a, I'm a protagonist in an antagonist world. That's a that's a good way to look at it. I I, I really think that for a lot of people, as you know, as as the as the veil of socially acceptable society is changing for the better and for the worse in some cases people are really starting to realize that nothing happens in a void that you know we are the entertainment we consume we are the information we consume we are what we put out into the world and that you know it's it's not enough to not be engaged in all these things it's not enough to you know completely disengage from life if you if you do that, you're gonna end up hollowing yourself out in many ways, and I think that's one reason why I'm so happy. I not only left politics when I did several years ago, but I'm so happy to be out of media. I don't. I didn't think that I was restricted when I was working in a newsroom, but my God, like uh, I'm I'm already a month and a half away from it, and I I, I you know I I love and respect and have the utmost uh, you know pride where I worked, but like I I had to not do and say a lot of things because of where I was working. And there's a certain freedom to now being able to jump into different things that I I wouldn't have had in that situation. I think I think not I think not being afraid to break la- to break out of labels is is something that a lot of people don't want to do. Yeah, a lot of people are stuck in boxes like I'm uh I'm this, I'm that, I'm on this team, I'm on that team. Yeah, not not a good thing to be stuck that way. Yeah, I think uh, I think we were talking about it before we started, but you know, one one interesting thing right now is it's regardless of how things go a few months from now, we're gonna see a giant shift in people who seem somewhat relevant online and others that don't. You got into, you know, you you. I don't think he. Well, I can't say you got into a spat because he didn't reply back. I think he blocked you, but Jack Murphy. I have no, I have no clue what's going on with that guy, and he's one of those people where you know it, you have the you have these flash in the pan moments online. You have these people that get really big followings overnight, and then something will change, and then you they will be completely forgotten. And you know, I look at Jack Murphy, and I don't think we'll ever be talking about him five years from now. I think we'll still be talking about Andrew Meyer five years from now. I don't think we'll be talking about him. Uh, yeah. Frankly, I just don't even want to talk about the guy. I, I DM'd him a little bit. I just all I did is ask him a question. He put out some strange tweets about the movie Cuties. He didn't say it was the worst thing in the world, and it is. You can watch it for two seconds, and it's absolutely disgusting. I don't, I don't need there to be a documentary and know that that's it, that that shit is sick. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't understand I don't, why people are having conversation about this. Yeah, he he told me that I I didn't get it. You know, somehow I didn't get his uh, galaxy brain take on the phone. Uh, okay, bro. Uh, I, I'm not trying to blow up your spot. I'm honestly not trying to blow up his spot at all. But you, you want to tell me that I don't understand what you're saying? No, I, I got it, bro. I totally got it. And there are people not, not connected to me, people screenshotting his tweets and sending them to the people compiling the list of people in media that are defending cuties. He's on the list with all the other people that people are calling pedophiles. All I, I wasn't trying to call them names or anything. I'm just trying to say, hey, this this tweet is bad. You should get rid of this tweet. And uh, you know, I'm not trying to blow up a spot or talk this or that or out of school. But you know, he he said to me, um, you know, why do you, like don't you have better things to do? Mike Cernovich just tweeted today. Like, here's a pyramid of things that are important to talk about. Like Mike Maslow's hierarchy. You know, like in politics, here's what's important to talk about first and we need to win on first right there. The base of the pyramid, he said, you know, 
the common jobs and locking up pedophiles, like getting the pedophiles arrested. And Cuties, it's a pedophile film. All the pedophiles are coming out of the woodwork to applaud it. So this is the time to say, hey, you people are sick. Go after the pedos. Not time to say, oh, let's have a nuanced take on the media. And th- I don't know what his tweet thread was, but it, it was honestly, uh, you know, not the right thing for people on our side to be doing because, you know, frankly, it's been decades long problem of people pretending that there's not pedophiles in Congress, pedophiles in media, Jimmy Seville, Dennis Haster, when he wants to talk about Congress, out and out pedophiles, real pedophiles being controlled. uh, And for you to come out at this time and be like, well, this isn't as bad as uh, some people might think it is. Maybe there's some nuance here. Watch two seconds of the trailer. If you don't feel like throwing up, I don't know what's wrong with you. And I'm not, I'm not uh, creating some kind of drama by asking you about it. So, you know, what, whatever, bro, if you want to talk about it, let's talk about it. Uh, Jack, if this ever gets around to him, but um, you know, you, you can't be putting stuff out there like that. And one thing that really got to me and got under my skin is like he this no one is on an island. OK, when it comes to this space, the whole game of the enemies we're playing is to say, hey, someone tangentially connected to you did this. This is what's on your side. So if I have people on my side uh, defending cuties, you're undermining what we're trying to accomplish you're creating division in in the whole space. It, you're you're not alone in this, and you can't just throw out a take like that, a thread, and be like, "Oh, this is my edgy nuance thread." No, bro, you're you're actively uh, throwing bombs into a war zone at your own side, and it, it just mind-blowingly stupid stuff. Here, here, here's a thought I've had about this and a lot of the other stuff going on. I I will openly admit that I was a sports hater for a while. I didn't understand why some people were just so obsessed with, you know, like, like football and other stuff like that. But since the, since the, since all of 2020 decided to turn into a giant dumpster fire, I now wish that, you know, sports was back on and movie theaters were opening up and back to normal, that life was how it was before March. Do you think we would one, do you, do you think we would be scre- we would be screaming at people and dealing with the the strange type of behaviors we're seeing from folks online defending films like Cuties? Do you think we would be seeing all the riots and all this other stuff had the lockdown not happened? Had had life and culture been been there? Because if there's one thing I have appreciation for now more than ever, it's culture. It's entertainment. It's art. It's the things that, you know, bring people together and keep and give us an outlet for our lives. Instead, it's like now everyone more so than ever before is hyper fixated on a few of the things that are on TV and online like never before. Yeah, you're not allowed to go to the bars in a lot of these cities or whatever. So, this scene, the only scene that exists is the protest scene. Oh yeah, I was there. I was I was protest protesting the fascists. I was protesting the mans. I mean, this is all you want to know the truth. This is all a big plan. And I've said before, the controllers of the media are weaponizing the ignorance bubbles that they've built over decades. They're weaponizing the people that they rely on academia and the mainstream media, the corporate media for their opinions and they've got all these different little ignorance bubbles and they have weaponized them it's just like the matrix it's just like all the zombie movies that you've seen they they literally attack people for having a brain and uh if if you're not unplugged from the system you're one of their agents because they're they're controlling what you do you're just their little automaton robot Oh, I've I've got to ask you this. I don't think I've I've asked you prior. There, there's that one graphic novel that you really like. It's it's that it's it's not cyberpunk. It's um shit. I'm trying to remember the title. It's uh, Metropolis. Transmetropolitan. Transmetropolitan. You told me to read it. You told me one, it was really freaking good, but also a lot of stuff in that comic is is strangely similar. A lot of stuff going on today. What what is that about? Oof. Uh, that comic tells you it all. I mean, it was written by a slightly left-wing guy, 
but he's telling you that both sides real sick in politics. He's telling you about how the culture is just absolutely mindless and degraded. Uh, if, if people haven't read Transmetropolitan, they're really missing out. That is the best comic book, in my opinion, of all time. Really? Yeah. Who, who published that? Uh, number one. It was a Vertigo comic written by Warren Ellis. Oh, Warren Ellis is like he 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 wrote my favorite run of Iron Man. He he wrote uh, he wrote uh, Iron Man Extremis. Uh, he did that. He did a bunch of other stuff. He's done Moon Knight. I'm I'm not surprised that he he would write something like that. Was it was it is it like an inherently like political story? Is it like you know a a cyberpunk? Is it a V for Vendetta? Was it his type of thing? What he wrote is basically a Hunter S. Thompson type character uh, exposing. Uh, a very realistic paradigm, like a political p- paradigm in American politics. You know, he invented the characters, but I would loosely say uh, one guy is Nixon and the other guy is basically Bill Clinton. And he goes hard on both of them. He's not a fan of either of them. It's a, it's a like independent journalist going hard. The other person that loves this comic book is uh, Cassandra Fairbanks. And both of us, we have like the same story, we went from uh, left to pro-Trump. Although uh, I did that, I think, a lot faster than her. But uh, point aside, um, you know, people that just aren't down with frauds, liars, fakers, evil in politics, um, there's a lot there. I did a whole thread on it on Twitter, like just cutting out some of the images and showing you like, wow, this is exactly what's going on. I couldn't give you the the play by play right now. But uh, if you just read the first book alone, it's just so, so uh, on point. Now that that that's enough to get me interested because you've been telling me for months and I I feel bad I should have ordered it sooner. I was ordering a ton of other stuff during this time because the one the one great thing about the pandemic is that it caused a lot of sales and discounts like never before for comics and graphic novels. The sad thing is a lot of my favorite comic book shops have gone out of business permanently. So I've been I've been grabbing up stuff like it's going out of style, but I've got to grab it. It's it, it it's amazing like the one one positive thing I will say that's come out of this whole experience is that I have been reading like never before. I whether it's comics or just regular books, I have never consumed so much stuff just to kill time. And I mean, it's 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 been one of the few things that's kept me, you know, uplifted, you know, entertained, happy. I, I think it's times like these that really make us, you know, focus on, you know, what 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 gives you joy. Yeah, you got to have a good reading list of uh, stuff you like. Got to have a good watch list of things that are uh, worthy of putting your mind on as an escape. That you know, it's really doing something good for your subconscious while you're watching it. So, yeah, definitely, this is a good time to make sure you're right with yourself and right with God and everything that you're doing. Absolutely, Andrew. We we've been going on for you know a good bit. We've covered a lot of content. The one thing that I want to ask you before we you know sign off is what you know th- this whole period's going to to end eventually, and we ultimately have the choice, as the Stoics will say, to come out of it better than we did prior, despite the circumstances. What what are some of the things that you know during this time you know you you've come to appreciate more? Maybe some of the things that you didn't take into account prior that you're going to focus on later. Frankly, I appreciate at this time more than anything. This is going to sound maybe trite, but number one, living in America, I kid you not. Uh, look at Australia. You know, that, oh, that's a first world country. Yeah, they're arresting old ladies for sitting on park benches without because they're not wearing a mask. You know, there's very few places in the world that, in my opinion, are really worth living. And, you know, people say America this, it's not as, as great as it was. If you find the right spot in America that's outside of these insane cities right now, America is a beautiful place to be. I appreciate, you know, running water and going to the grocery store. <laughs> Some of the natural beauty that's in this country. Um, it's an amazing place. And I appreciate uh, my connection to God more than ever. Uh, there, without being connected to God in this time, you just go insane. It's very obvious. The people that have a spiritual connection, they are losing it. And, you know, thank God I have whatever connection I have to God. And, uh, you know, the ability to to talk about it and share about it on a podcast like yours, because 
you know, it's not every day you get to tell people to go uh, check out the Holy Grail. And I know we did a whole other podcast on this, but the Zohar is the Holy Grail. Uh, go check it out. I mean, man, if there was ever a time to look into things that I would have never thought I'd ever be able to, it was definitely this. And I mean, there's, it's been, it's been challenging. It's been challenging for a lot of people. It's been challenging for us, but you know, it's, it's, it's moments like that, like that discussion we had with, uh, with, with Benny, like I will, I, I will cherish those things and it's, it's looking for the good within the bad. Those things do happen. It's just, you know, cherishing them and being appreciative of them and, you know, hanging on to them for posterity's sake. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, this this time is a blessing. I was just listening to uh, Ruth Namias today. She's a Kabbalistic astrologer. She's one of the best. She was talking about Bitcoin and telling people that they should invest in it. And, <laughs> you know, even when, when people didn't know what it was. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, I told people about Bitcoin was at 300, independent of even, uh, she wasn't even my radar at that time. But this lady, she's, she's telling you what's going on. And she said this whole year is basically preparation for uh, the next year. And Rosh Hashanah is in a couple of days. So the real next year, you don't have to wait till the end of December. Um, everything is going to start moving even faster. So uh, it, this time has been for you to get right with yourself, put yourself in order so you can do the right things. And soon you're going to have to do even more of them. So if you're doing the right things now, you're going to have to do tri- triple speed soon because everything's about to speed up. Uh, we're, we're going into light space, uh, into uh, everything's happening so fast. I'm forgetting my words. Light space. That's the, is that the word? Is that the word I'm looking for? Light, light speed. Light speed. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Everything's <laughs> happening so fast. Uh, yeah. Light speed is becoming light space. Everything, no, everything. It's a new thing that. now. Coin it. Light space. Yeah, <laughs> I should coin that. that sounds like a bad phrase. I like that actually. But that's, that, yeah, that, that, that's a good. That's a good title for a comic or for a film. You had Ad Astra. You've got Space Odyssey. Light space, starring Brad Pitt. Almost sounds like something. Uh, no, nah, my mind has been. I've been doing so much in this time. So when I say that, even like whatever you're doing now, you're going to have to do three times that. You know, the people that I'm talking about for predictions, Ruth Namias and um, her teacher, Karen Berg, before she passed recently, the founder of the Kabbalah Center. Karen Berg, if you go back and listen to what she said uh, at last year's Rosh Hashanah, she told everybody what this year was going to be like. She said, this is going to be a year like we haven't seen before, and things are going to be radically different. And she just watched point after point she was talking about. It's like she saw exactly what was going to happen. And uh, yeah, if you don't know Ruth Namias, N-A-H-M-I-A-S, definitely go check her out. She's a Kabbalistic astrologer. And uh, she said, if you're investing gold, real estate, and uh, watch out for Bitcoin, because she said it's going to drop in the middle of 2021. So watch for that. That That is an interesting take, because it's been doing nothing but going up since February. Well, you know, uh, you know the crypto people. They love to... <laughs> They love to make a big uh, rise and they love to profit when it goes down too. So, you know, just be careful with crypto. Crypto is not gold. It doesn't behave in such a steady fashion. It's uh, it's something that people can manipulate a lot easier. And gold is manipulated too, but uh, Bitcoin is even a lot easier. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I feel like with both of those things, well, it, well, it's like stocks. Like if you spoke to like 20 year old me versus me now, I knew nothing about stocks. I feel like a lot of people get into Bitcoin, they get into gold and they really have no clue what they're really doing. It's like, are you possessing physical gold and, you know, physical silver? Or are you just getting like gold certificates? It's like, are you buying crypto just to have it? Or do you understand that the purpose is for it to eventually be a currency? I think now is going to be the time where people really start asking those questions. It's like with Akon, wanting to start like Akon City and like Senegal where he wants Bitcoin to be like the the one true currency it's like well there there you have somebody using it for what it was intended to be That sounds fantastic Akon City I hadn't heard of that I hope he I hope he does well Oh man I want to go visit there I've never been to Africa Senegal nonetheless I want to go to Akon City gives me so, gives me an excuse to spend some bitcoin Sounds like fun uh, the, the clubs in Akon City I can only imagine they are going to be awesome. Anyway, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. Ad, had an absolute blast as always. If people want to uh, follow you on Twitter or everywhere else, how could they do so? Oh, check out your podcast too. 
Yeah, go to at the Andrew Meyer on Twitter. Uh, there's links right at the top of my bio to my uh, podcast, Bidding Fire with Andrew Meyer. There's links to my book, uh, Don't Tase Me, Bro, Real Real Questions, Fake News, and My Life as a Meme. And for posterity, since who knows how long Twitter will even be the thing these days, uh, theandrewmeyer.com. You can always find me there. There you go. Thank you so much, man. As always, be good and stay blessed. Stay blessed, bro. Thank you, Ramsa. All right, folks. Well, you know, conversations like this happen because you keep coming back every week and you're telling your friends, which is, you know, I I, I cannot thank you enough for doing that. But what really helps me as well is leaving a five-star rating and review, an honest review. If you think I suck, go away. But, you know, <laughs> leaving that leaving that on, on iTunes, you know, it pays off in dividends. It costs you nothing and it means everything to me. So a five-star rating review on iTunes and doing what you're doing. You're all awesome. As always, remember this. The only people who are free are those people with options as always you're listening to on the run i'm remsa w martinez good night check out our other shows and more from the we are libertarians network at we are libertarians.com